Welcome to Prairie View. We're glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. If you know anything about me in the year and a half that I've been here, you know that I have a really dry, really sarcastic sense of humor. And some people really like that. Some people maybe don't like that so much. And I probably rub some people the wrong way. If you're one of those people, I apologize. But I do want to say something to Austin and Erica this morning. I assume they wouldn't be here because they just had a baby. It's Labor Day weekend. And I had this plan all figured out of how when I got home today, I was going to get on Facebook and write on their Facebook wall and make some snide remark about how, well, clearly now Mason knows that church is not a priority in your family because you weren't here. But then they showed up. And so they robbed me of that opportunity to make a sarcastic comment. So I'm kind of bitter about that. But... We'll get through it. So everyone else, besides Austin and Eric, of course, we're glad that you've chosen to worship here at Prairie View Christian Church. Now, last week, we talked with Eric and Tom Harrigan. And Eric preached in a little bit of a break from our Trustworthy Saying series. But one thing I said that I really mean during our welcome last week is that if it weren't for guys like Eric and guys like Tom and Prairie View's past, most of us would not be here. They put in a lot of time and a lot of service to this church in years past. And because of their hard work and their dedication, I have the privilege of being here and serving at this church. And our church has been through some ups and downs throughout its history. We've had good times. We've had bad times. But Eric and Tom, they are shining examples of some of the high points in Prairie View Christian Church's history. And so we're grateful to them and we're grateful for all that they've done for Prairie View in the past and all they mean for Prairie View still to this day. Now, after we took our break, I want to recap a little bit about what we talked about two weeks ago in this Trustworthy Saying series. We're looking at five trustworthy sayings that Paul gives to two young church leaders, Timothy and Titus, in what's called the Pastoral Epistles. And two weeks ago, we talked about the second trustworthy saying, and that was the saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And as we talked about that trustworthy saying, we explored the high standards for leaders in the church that Paul sits, particularly elders. That's what that term overseers primarily refers to. And we talked about how leaders in the church are called to be above reproach. They're called to be men of maturity, men of integrity, men of humility. And so Paul tells Timothy, look for these types of men as you appoint leaders for the church in Ephesus. And make sure that you're looking for maturity and integrity and humility, not just when they're at church on Sunday mornings, not just when Christian people are looking, but look for those qualities in their families. Look for those qualities in their personal lives. Look for those qualities in their communities, especially amongst those who don't know Christ. What do those people have to say about those leaders? And the big idea that we talked about is that the reason a church's leadership matters so much is because the church's mission matters so much. We've talked about our mission more than once. We exist to make devoted and maturing and multiplying followers of Jesus. And if we hope to accomplish that mission, we absolutely must take the leadership of our church seriously. Our mission matters too much for us to settle for anything less when it comes to our leadership. And clearly, it's important to Paul as well. 
Now, that brings us to where we are today, picking up with our third trustworthy saying. This is the last trustworthy saying we see in the book of First Timothy. And it's one that I hope is particularly relevant to us this morning on Kid City Sunday. So if you have a Bible with you, open up with me to First Timothy 4, verses 6 through 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, use one of ours underneath our chairs. That will be located on page 852. And if you don't own a Bible, grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today. Now, before we dig into our passage, as we approach God's word and see what God is going to have to say to us this morning, let's pray together and then we'll get started. Father, we are grateful for those who come before us. We're grateful to those who have dedicated themselves to Prairie View Christian Church in the past. And whether they were staff people or leadership or just humble servants who do things behind the scenes and don't get a ton of recognition. We're grateful for those people who serve here and all that you've done through their willingness to serve. And God, as we approach your word this morning and learn a little bit more about serving, I pray that you'll speak to us in a way that is just absolutely unmistakable. That you'll encourage us if that's what we need, that you'll inspire us if that's what we need, that you'll convict us if that's what we need and challenge us if that's what we need. God, we are coming here this morning with different baggage, different fears, different issues, different concerns. But I pray that you'll speak up in whatever situation we're facing, whatever challenge we're dealing with, and that you will offer whatever it is that you need to offer this morning through your word. God, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of opening your word and being here together. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, before we dig into the passage, there are two questions that I would propose that every single one of us in this room and really every single human being at some point in our lives will wrestle with two questions. And the first question is, who am I? It's a question of identity. So many of us spend so much time in our lives trying to discover who we are trying to figure out who we really are at our core, giving up the facade, giving up the presentation that we try to give to people, giving up the idea that we want to just project this ideal image of who we really are through social media or through other things. We're really on this quest to discover who we are. Sometimes you'll deal with that question early in life and then figure it out a little bit later and live the rest of your life confident of your identity and knowing who you are. Some of us will wrestle with that question more than once in our lives. We'll think that we'll have it figured out and then time goes on and people change and we change and we go back to that question of, okay, well, who am I now? What's my identity now? Am I the same person I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago? But it's a question that we all wrestle with. Who am I? The second question is a question of purpose. What am I here for? Do I have some mission in this life? Was I put here for a reason? Or am I just here as a result of some coincidence and just a highly advanced animal? And I just live based on instincts of safety and security and pleasure. And then I die and that's the end of it. And really life isn't all that meaningless. Or am I here for a reason? Do I have a purpose? Now to that first question, the question of identity, scripture reveals to followers of Jesus who we are, what our identity is through Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So that answers the question of identity for those who follow Jesus. Those who follow Jesus, our core identity is found in being children of God, sons and daughters of God. Those people who were once enemies of God, who were once slaves to the flesh, those people who were once active opponents against God, because of what Christ has done, because of his grace, because of what Christ did at the cross and Christ's resurrection, we now know who we are. That by God's grace, we are his children. And that is an incredible privilege to have. We are God's children now. We're no longer slaves to the flesh. Jew, Gentile, none of that stuff really matters anymore. Now, when it comes to identity, there are other parts of our identity that still matter. We might have a certain last name. We might have a certain nationality. We might be male or female, white or black. But all of those things are secondary to our identity in Christ. That's ultimately at the core who we are because of the grace of God. But that still leaves the question, what am I here for? I know who I am, but what's my purpose? What's my mission? Why am I here? Where do I go from here? Do I just accept my identity as a child of God and then just sit back and wait until I die and then reap all the rewards? Or is there a next step? Is there a purpose that I'm here for? And I think Paul answers that question for us in this passage. Start in verse six. We read there. If you put these things before the brothers, now keep in mind, Paul's writing to Timothy. He's probably referring to all the stuff that he's written so far. That stuff about how Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That stuff about good doctrine and bad doctrine and making sure that overseers know that they desire a noble task. Paul is saying, Timothy, if you put all that stuff before the brothers, if you take all this stuff seriously, Picking up in the verse, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, that word servant, that's different from the word we looked at last week, overseer. We talked about how not everyone is meant to be an overseer. Not everybody wants to be an overseer. It's something that one should aspire to. It should be a leadership position that person desires. So not everyone is an overseer, but everyone in the church is a servant. Every single one of us is called to be a servant. We're all, not all cut out to be elders or overseers, but we are expected to be servants as followers of Jesus. At one point in the Gospel of Matthew, James and John, two of Jesus' closest followers, they're getting ready for Jesus to establish his reign He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to be in charge. He's going to be the head honcho. Everyone else is going to be crushed under his feet. And what we really want to make sure is that when that happens, we have places of honor. We have places of prestige. We have places of power. 
And so James and John, trying to prepare for this and ensure that they will have those positions, they do what any brave men would do, and they have their mom approach Jesus and ask about it. So, James and John's mom, she goes to Jesus and she says, Hey, Jesus, my sons, they've been following you for a while. They gave up quite a bit. How about you reserve for them seats at your right hand? That way they can be your second in command when you're in charge and when you're really flexing your muscles in all of the world. But Jesus uses that question, uses that request to teach James and John a lesson. In Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 26, Jesus says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus talks to James and John, talks to their mom, and says, Look, you have it all wrong. If you think that following me is about prestige and power and having leverage over people, following me is about being a servant. That is your purpose, serving other people. And if you don't believe me, James and John, I'm the son of God. And yet I came here to serve, not to be served so much so that I'm about to give up my life as a ransom for many. James and John, I'm a servant. And so you, as my followers, you're called to be servants, too. And that applies for every single one of us. All of those who have placed their faith in Christ, all of those who can now call themselves sons and daughters of God because of the grace that he has shown us, every single one of us is a servant. We are saved to be his children, and we are commissioned to be his servants. That's our new purpose. That's the privilege that we have of being sons and daughters of God. So with all of these assumptions in mind, Paul knows what Jesus said. Paul knows the teachings of Jesus. He knows Timothy's heart. He knows that Timothy loves Christ and loves the church. And so Paul naturally assumes, Timothy, I know you want to be a good servant. But can we make that same assumption today about us? I think if we're really honest with ourselves not all of us really want to be servants all the time. It's not the most fabulous or extraordinary thing to be a servant. It's not always the most attractive thing, and yet that's exactly what we're called to. We're so often tempted to be consumers rather than servants. So many situations we find ourselves in, so many relationships that we have, they're all based on that big question of what's in it for me. What can this person offer me? Because that will define whether or not I really want to have a relationship with them. What does this church offer me? What kind of services can they extend to me? Because then that will define whether or not I want to be a part of it. Because if that church doesn't offer the services that I want, then I'm going to go down the road to the different church that does offer the services that I want. And we often ask that question instead of asking, okay, how can I serve here? How can I serve my family? How can I serve this person that I have a relationship with? How can I serve my coworker? How can I serve my church? And so Paul makes this assumption about Timothy. Timothy, I know you want to be a good servant. And I pray that every single one of us in here wants to be a good servant as well. Because if we live this life of consumeristic mentality, 
we fail to live up to be our purpose of being a servant as a follower of Jesus. And if we aren't living for that purpose of serving the kingdom and serving the gospel and serving our neighbors for the glory of God, we do God a disservice. We do our neighbors a disservice. We do the church a disservice and we do ourselves a disservice if we're not serving in some capacity. And so Paul makes it clear, Timothy, you want to be a good servant? I know you do. Well, here's how. Pick back up in verse 6, the second half of verse 6. Being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That's referring to the false teaching that we talked about two weeks ago. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, Timothy wants to be a good servant. Paul knows that Timothy wants to be a good servant. And so then Paul gives Timothy some advice. And it's not always the advice that we're looking for. The advice is start training. Start training in the word. Start training in good doctrine. Start training in sound teaching. Some commentators argue that Paul is trying to get at the idea of nourishment, not just training. Find nourishment in the word. Find nourishment in good teaching, because that is essential if you're going to make it as a servant of Christ. And so we as followers of Jesus, just like Timothy, we are called to be training. We are called to find nourishment in good doctrine and in solid teaching. And for us, there's no better place to look than the pages of Scripture itself. So if we want to be good servants of Christ, find nourishment in the word. Read it on your own. Read it in a small group. God has given you the tools that you need to train. He's given you the Holy Spirit as a guide. He's given you the word to educate you and build you up and even convict you when necessary. So start training. God's given us the tools that we need. But Paul doesn't stop there with just training in the word. He reiterates the importance of training in the word by contrasting godly training to physical training. Now, I'm going to have a picture up on the screen. This is a guy named Fauja Singh. And Fauja Singh, at age 80, he took up running after the death of his wife and his son. So his way of mourning with this tragedy in his life was that he decided he wanted to start running at age 80. Okay. In 2003, at the age of 92, he completed the Toronto Waterfront Marathon in five hours and 40 minutes at the age of 92 years old. That got him the nickname, the Turbaned Tornado. In 2004, Fauja Singh appeared in an Adidas ad with David Beckham and Muhammad Ali. That's how much recognition he was getting as being an incredible athlete at his age. And to this day, he is still alive. He's 103, 104 years old, somewhere in that ballpark. And he doesn't run anymore, but he's still a strict vegetarian. He still walks three to four hours per day. This guy is an incredible athlete. And the only way that you could possibly accomplish what he accomplished at his age is if you take training really, really seriously. And you might look at that picture and realize, you know, I don't really have much of anything in common with this guy, Fauja Singh. Very few of us probably have anything in common with him at all. 
But one of the few things that every single one of us does have in common with him is that no matter how much we train, no matter how much we run, no matter how much we exercise, no matter how much we watch our diets, every single one of us will die. There's nothing we can do to prevent it. It's just a fact of mortality. Well, Paul tells Timothy, focus on training for godliness. Because physical training, athletic training, that's all well and good. But focus on the training that lasts into eternity. Focus on the training that bears fruit into eternity. Focus on training to be a servant of Christ. Because you have been saved as a child of God and you have been commissioned as a servant. That, Timothy, is your core purpose. And that is your core purpose as well, if you are a follower of Jesus. Let's pick back up in our passage, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. We're finally getting to our trustworthy saying here. Verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. That last part of verse 10, that's the trustworthy saying for our series these past few weeks. We have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. But look at the words Paul uses right before that. He uses these two words, toil and strive. Like Carl talked about in his communion meditation, Paul knew that being a servant of Christ was not easy. He knew it from experience. He knew that training was not easy. In chapter 6 of this letter, he tells Timothy to fight the good fight, comparing following Jesus to a battle. And battles aren't fun because being a servant won't be easy. Sometimes when you're a servant of Christ, you feel like you're just toiling away and there's really no value at all to what you're doing. You try to do the right thing, and all the time you see people who are doing the wrong thing get rewarded. You try to be the person that God has called you to be, to glorify his name, and yet it seems like there's so little significance to anything that you're doing. But let me tell you, there is significance to what you're doing. It might not always feel like it, but anything that you do as a servant of Christ for the glory of his name is worthwhile. The training, that won't always be easy either. Sometimes when you're trying to run, when you're trying to get in shape, some days you'll run and you'll feel like you're doing really well. You'll feel refreshed. You'll be encouraged by how good you feel and how sore you aren't when you're done running. And you'll feel like you're making really good progress. And then other days you'll train and you'll be miserable the whole time. You'll be achy, your muscles will be burning, you'll have a slower time than you did the day before, and you'll be realizing just how far you actually have to go, not how far you've actually come. Training and serving aren't always easy. And yet Paul says, Timothy, that's okay. Find your hope in the Savior of all people, the living God, especially of those who believe. When serving gets tough, when training gets tough, when you open the word looking for inspiration and instead you get a challenge, find hope in the living God, the Savior of all people. Look to this trustworthy saying, Timothy, 
And remember that your service and your labor and your toiling and your striving, they are not in vain. They are not pointless. That God will take those things and make something out of them in spite of you. Think about that. God is real. Jesus is alive. We're not just serving anybody. We're serving the creator of the universe, the one who overcame death, the one who sent his son to die for us, whose body was broken and blood was shed for us. And thus we can have hope even when serving gets hard. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, one of my favorite passages. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor isn't in vain. Maybe you're a parent and you're doing your best to raise your child in a way that honors Christ, and yet they are continually pushing back against you. And you wonder, is there any real point to this? Know that your labor is not in vain. Maybe you're trying to share the gospel with your neighbor and you've been doing it for three months or six months or three years or five years or ten years. And it doesn't seem like anything is happening. Know that your labor is not in vain as you share the gospel with that person. Maybe you're trying to do the best you can to live as a light for Christ in your job. And yet... You're constantly worried about losing your job. You're sitting back and watching as people are being elevated above you and other people are getting credit and other people are getting reward. Don't be discouraged because your labor is not in vain, even if you don't always get the recognition that some people might feel that you deserve. Your labor matters. You have been called to be a servant. Every single one of us has been given the privilege of being a servant. And when it gets hard... We look to trustworthy sayings like this one. We have our hope set on the living God. And when we remind ourselves of that, our service, our burden, that might just be a little bit lighter. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Closing out our passage, this is the part that might be especially relevant to Kids City Sunday. Verse 11 Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Now, Timothy is not a teenager, but he's around the age of 30. He's a relatively young guy. But Paul makes the principle clear that godliness can transcend age. So, Timothy, be an example to your fellow believers. Be an example in purity. Be an example in godliness. You might not be as wise as some people. You might not be as experienced as other people. But if you are sold out as a servant of Christ, God can use you in an incredible way. So whether you're here this morning because Kid City was closed and you got dragged in here, whether you're here because your parents dragged you in here and you wanted to sleep in, whether you're a college student, whether you're like me and just now starting to kind of get the whole adult thing figured out, Know that God can use you. Know that God can use those who are dedicated to being his servants, to those who are training in the word, those who have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that your labor is not in vain, no matter how old or young you are. Closing out the passage, verse 13. 
Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's this sense of urgency for Paul as he closes out the passage. He gives out these words like command and teach, these imperative commands that Paul is giving Timothy. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Immerse yourself in good teaching. Immerse yourself in good doctrine. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. The sense of urgency that Paul is communicating is clear. Timothy, as you move on, build one another up. Immerse yourself in the word and get training and get serving because God has given you that purpose. God in his grace has given you that privilege. And so make the most of it. Start serving like you've never served before. Start training like you've never trained before because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And God will use that and God will bless that even when it doesn't really look like it to your eyes. You and I, every single one of us, we have been saved by God's grace to be his sons and be his daughters. And by his grace, he has given us this challenge and given us this commissioning to go out and to be his servants. If we do that, I pray and I'm confident that God can help this church make devoted and maturing and multiplying followers of Jesus. It won't always be easy. It won't always be a walk in the park. But we have our hope set on the living God, the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And we've been given the privilege to be his servants. Let's pray. Father, it is a humbling thing to know that by your grace, you save us to be your children, but you don't just stop there. That in your grace, you give us purpose, you give us meaning, you give us a mission. And God, if we look at that mission and try to accomplish it by our own strength, by our own abilities, by our own skills, then we will be disappointed. But God, as we look at this big, audacious, intimidating mission, God, we know that you've given us the tools that we need to be your servants. You've given us the Holy Spirit that is continually working in our hearts. You've given us the word that will build us up if we're willing to open it and read it. And God, I pray that you will bless the efforts of your people. Again, it's by your grace that we do this. We don't serve you so that we can be saved. We serve you because we are saved, because you have made us your children. And that won't always be easy. There will be times when we serve and serve and serve and serve, and it doesn't seem like anything is happening and nothing significant is occurring at all. But God, we know that you're working behind the scenes, that you're working in the midst of that. And I pray that when those difficult challenges come, that we can keep in mind that we're not just serving anybody. We're serving the living God, the Savior of all people. And God, that can give us hope. 
So as we leave here this morning, I pray that we will look for opportunities to serve, to serve those who do know you, to serve those who don't know you, to serve those we come into contact with at restaurants or in our neighborhoods or in our schools or in our workplaces, and know that every single one of us is given this mission, that when we leave here, we are entering our mission field to be your servants wherever it is that you have placed us. Encourage us, equip us, and God, I pray that you will use us by your grace. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe you don't yet know Christ and you're still trying to discover what your identity is and you're trying to figure out who you are and what really matters in this life and who you want to be in the future. I pray that you will find your identity as a child of God, that you will place your faith in Christ this morning, that you will make that decision to follow him, that you will repent of your sin, be given the gift of the Holy Spirit and be baptized and start this life as a servant of Christ, finding this new identity that God willingly gives to you. Maybe you're already a follower of Christ and you have embraced that identity, but you haven't quite embraced the whole idea of your purpose, this idea of being a servant. I pray that you will do that this morning. I pray that you'll talk to one of our elders. They'll be happy to help you discover ways that God can use you as his servant wherever it is that he has placed you. So whether you know Christ or not, whether you're ready to be a servant or not, talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to talk with you, answer questions that you might have, pray with you, brainstorm with you about servant opportunities that might be here or might be somewhere else. But I pray that you'll talk to one of those guys this morning.